Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, we're going to continue our series through the book of Psalms, looking today at Psalm 57 and hiding in thee. Would you please join me now in prayer? Lord, there are many challenges, many difficulties in our lives, many storms and challenges. And Lord, we just come before you today. And what we need is we need the reminder. We need the instruction. We need your word, which is sufficient. It is binding and it is clear. Lord, you are a present help in time of need. You help us so that we can find rest. We can find satisfaction. We can find our hope and delight in the Lord, our God. And so, Lord, I pray today as we open now your word that you would take the word that we hear taught to us and that you would take it and drive it deeper into our hearts and into our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Psalm 57. Psalm 57 says this, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your steadfast, your faithfulness, I mean, to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the reading of God's holy word. Now, most of the Psalms of of David's in book two of the Psalter, they share a common theme of prayer for deliverance from wicked oppressors. In Psalm 57, our psalm for today, David continues to be threatened by ruthless foes, and yet here his heart is steadfast, and that is a confident hope of David's salvation. Now, the concern of Psalm 57 is not merely that God would save David, but that God's glory would would be uh, on display in exalted and rescuing David from affliction. The superscription, that thing that you read just below the the title of the verse. It tells us that David wrote this song after fleeing from him in the cave. David sought refuge in caverns on two different occasions, once in Adullam and later at En Gedi. 
and his refuge in Adullam occurs immediately after David's foolish flight to the Philistine city of Gath. And since Psalm 56 records David's prayer of fear and faith after his escape from Gath, it is most likely that Psalm 57 was written at the next phase of David's flight in the refuge of Adullam. During this time, David's father and brother joined him along with 400 men who had also fled from King Saul and sought his leadership, as we see in 1 Samuel 22, 1-2. This was a bitter time of hardship. It was also a time of spiritual regrouping, as suggested by the very lines of Psalm 57. What accounts for the emotional difference between the high notes of Psalm 57 and Psalm 56 struggle with fear? Well, the difference seems to be that whereas David had previously sought refuge in Gath, he now came to Adullam not to take refuge in the caves, but instead to take shelter in the Lord. And to the considerable extent that the caves provided David with protection, they symbolized to him the safety that he was really finding in the Lord. You see, if David had not written Psalm 57, he, he might have instead written the words to the hymn, Hiding in Thee. O oh, safe to the rock that is higher than I, my soul in its conflict and sorrows would fly. So sinful, so wearily thine, thine would I be. Thou blessed rock of ages, I'm hiding in thee. As David hides in the shelter of God, Psalm 57 records his confident faith, his praise from a steadfast heart, and his plea for God's glory to be exalted. And so first we're going to see a prayer from a confident faith in the Lord. And in fact, Psalm 57 can be divided into two halves, both of which conclude with the refrain calling for the glory of God. The first half runs from verses 1 through 5. It presents this prayer of confident faith. As in his other psalms, David begins this psalm with a plea for the mercy of God. In deliverance, in verse 1 of this psalm, he says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul take refuge. The, the confident tone here can be seen in contrast to the opening lines of Psalm 57. There David cried, For the help of God, for man tramples on me, as Psalm 56, 1 says. Now here David calls for mercy. He says, For in you my soul takes refuge, in Psalm 57, 1. The difference is that David has learned the lesson from Psalm 56 and is now applying it to his heart and life. The psalmist declared in Psalm 56, 11, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And now realizing this, his mind is no longer fixed on man's violence, but on the salvation of God. David's camp may be hidden in the caves of Adullam, but his soul is nestled in the refuge that is in the Lord. And in this way, David shows us where to find comfort in our afflictions. William Plummer says this, when man hates us, let us seek the love of God. When man reproaches us, let us seek the honor that comes from God only. When man is cruel, let us seek God's loving kindness. And so to convey the idea of safety in God under his care, David uses a vivid imagery of sheltering beneath the shadow of your wings, as Psalm 57.1 says. And it's possible that David here is referring to the wings of the golden angels that rested atop the Ark of the Covenant, as we see in Exodus 25, 19 through 22. If this is David's idea, he means that by trusting in God, he is as safe as if he were sheltered in 
the temple of the Most High God. The problem with this view is that David does not speak of angels' wings, but prays about your wings, that is, the wings of God. The Bible often speaks of God's care in terms of a mother hen that shelters her chicks beneath her wings. In fact, Jesus, lamenting over Jerusalem, says this in Luke 13, 34. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? David refers to the shadow or shelter of your wings in four other psalms in Psalm 17, 8, in Psalm 36, 7, in Psalm 61, 4, and in Psalm 63, 7. In fact, in Psalm 91, he explicitly links this idea to the imagery of brooding, a brooding mother bird in Psalm 91.4, which says, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. And so David's image of sheltering wings is an instructive one. Not only are the chicks kept safe, but they are comforted by being permitted to see not only the reassuring presence of their mother, and God calls us likewise to shake, take shelter in the Lord, turning our minds away from the danger and the troubles onto his glorious attributes that ensure the salvation of those who trust in the Lord. Like David in Psalm 57, believers receive a great peace in the midst of trials when they realize that the wings of divine protection rest on all of the people of God. And then in Psalm 57 too, David changes the lens of his faith, uh, to his faith, I should say, exclaiming, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Now, the name most high refers to God as ruler of heaven and earth. The Hebrew text literally says that God accomplishes for me. The emphasis here rests not on a specific thing that God has done, but on the fact that as most high, he is able to achieve whatever David needed. Psalm 91, 9 through 10 promises, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. Psalm 57, 3 then specifies just what David expects the most high to do for him. He says, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. The Lord of heaven combines almighty power with covenant love and faithfulness so that all who look upon him will find help in the day of trouble. Now David concludes the first stanza by uh, juxtaposing the violence directed against him with the peace he found in the Lord. In Psalm 57, 4, he says, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid the fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. David not only believed, but also experienced the doctrine of total depravity. He was surrounded by men who prowled around like lions, who menaced him like fire-breathing monsters, whose speech was an instrument of slander and a conspiracy to murder. And we live among the same human race today, the people who killed Jesus when he lived on the earth, and they would kill him again if they could. And yet David remarks that even in the midst of a society that exalts in evil, he is able to lie down in peace in the Lord. How can David possess this peace? Well, the answer is that he knows himself to be safe in the hands of a loving, faithful, and mighty God. David is like a chick sheltered in the in the feathers of an omnipotent wings. He lifts his heart, knowing that the Most High God hears his prayers for help. 
Day was a forerunner to Daniel, who trusted God in the lion's den, knowing that the beasts could not open their mouths without the Lord's permission. And if David had known Daniel's words from the lion's den to the Persian king, he might have used them to speak to King Saul. In Daniel 6.22, that text says, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me. Like David and Daniel, we may be confident of the same God's deliverance, trusting his steadfast love and faithfulness to save who all who call on the mercy of God. Now, in the opening section of Psalm 57, David prayed for God's mercy. He looked to God for shelter. He extolled the peace he experienced. And the second half worked backwards, explaining the reason for his peacefulness, settling David's heart steadfastly in the Lord, and resolving for God's mercy to earn him grateful praise. In fact, in verse 4 of Psalm 57, David spoke of lying down peacefully among lions and fiery beasts. In Psalm 57, verse 6, he explains that this peace comes from knowing that the wicked will ultimately do harm only to themselves. When he says, They set a net for my steps, my soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. In an episode at, at the cave in Gedi, Saul literally fell into his own trap. 1 Samuel 24, 1-22, it records how Saul's forces were searching for David when the king entered alone into the cave where David's band was hiding. Saul laid a trap for David like a fowler hunting a dove, but it was Saul who exposed himself, disrobing to attend to his bodily functions. David could have easily slain Saul, but instead he crept up and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. After Saul departed, David emerged from the cave, displaying the fragment of fabric to prove his loyalty and his innocence to his pursuers. In the same way, Saul fell into the very pit that he had dug for David, reminding us of how dangerous it is to pit our wills against the Most High God. And since our world is ruled by a righteous God, those who plot evil will harm only themselves in the end. This truth explains why Christians should not be overthrown by fear of the wicked. Charles Spurgeon writes that evil is a stream which one day flows back to its source. An example is seen in the experience of Maximilian Robespierre, who began the reign of terror during the French Revolution in order to gain control of his political enemies. Before long, Robespierre was putting the revolution in order to control his political enemies. Before long, Robespierre was putting the heads of his friends into the guillotine. And yet the reign of terror finally ended when Robert Pierre was himself arrested and his own head was removed by the dreaded machine. An even more notable example was the devil's overthrow by means of his attempt to destroy Jesus at the cross. Far from gaining Satan a spiritual triumph in the death of Christ, the devil's conspiracy instead destroyed his own kingdom. Since Jesus' sacrifice abolished the penalty of sin for the people of God, and yet when Jesus returns in glory, all evil will be put away and judged, and those who mocked his gospel will vainly cry out for shelter from the wrath of the Lamb, against which no evil will stand, as we see in Revelation 6, 16-17. And now armed with this insight regarding the end of evil, Dave proceeds in Psalm 57, 7, to the very heart of this psalm. And in the first stanza, David hid in the shadow of God's protection. And now David explains the strength he gained in this refuge when he says, My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. 
Now, the importance of this exclamation is highlighted by its repetition, since repetition in the Hebrew language signifies importance and emphasis. And here is the key to David's whole petition in this psalm, and also to his confident joy in the midst of difficulty. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. With these words, David states that the truth of God in his mind have given him control over the turbulent emotions of his heart. Hiding in God and seeing the greatness of God's love and faithfulness, David knows the calamity unfolding all around him is not going to end in his overthrow. His hands are no longer shaking, but are lifted up in thankful praise. His lips are not stammering in fear, but bear witness to the mercy of God. David is not merely hiding in a cave, but hiding in God. And his steadfast heart is triumphant over the storm that rages outside. Now, according to David, the key to enduring the trials of life is to be steadfast in faith as we seek refuge in the Lord. This is why Christians need to grow in maturity and stability. Believers need to know what they believe and why they believe it. And just what can we expect of God, you might ask? How, how do we come into a right relationship with the Lord? What, what can we know about life and death and heaven and hell? The answer to these very questions strengthen our backbone to our faith in times of trouble. In fact, we're living in times of trouble today. You might be facing a trial of many different kinds. Maybe a challenge at work. You're dealing with somebody who's difficult at work or maybe in your home. But you know what? Here's the thing to consider about that. There is nobody more difficult than the person that stares, it stares back at you in the morning. That is a thought that, that should be in the back of our minds every single day. Even as a Christian, you have indwelling sin. And so the problem isn't necessarily just out there, although you know what? The problem can be with other people. But we too quickly... I think a sign, and I'm guilty of this myself, we too easily point the finger at other people and we forget, you know what? I still, as a, as a Christian redeemed by the blood of Christ and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, I still have remaining or indwelling sin. I'm, I'm still growing in the grace of God. And what this does is it, it postures our heart in the right way. And we need to humble ourselves. In fact, um, Augustine and Calvin both said that that the Christian life is humility, humility, and humility. It's not, you know, I, I've got it all figured out. I've got all the answers. I, I know how to do it. We, we know that David didn't. But he had steadfast hope in the Lord. And this stabilized David, and it will stabilize us in the midst of our challenges. Because in short, our stability in the midst of our trials, it depends on our grasp of sound doctrine. Psalm 57, it shows the urgent need of every Christian to be settled in biblical teaching, to understand what the church has taught, especially with respect to central matters such as the attributes of God, the gospel of salvation, the person and work of Christ, the love of the Father, and the grace-empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. The author of Hebrews argued the importance of such doctrinal maturity, instructing his readers that though they should have matured to enough to be teaching others, in Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, he says, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. 
they needed to advance beyond drinking the milk and to start eating the meats. William Plummer laments this very situation among many believers whose hearts are not steadfast in God, saying, One of the darkest signs in some professors of religion is want of stability. Their hearts are not fixed. Their principles are not established. They are not settled. This may be owing to ignorance of scripture doctrine, to natural levity of mind, to evil habits long indulged, to the weakness or the want of grace. In every case, instability is a bad sign. Psalm 57 shows that it is not sufficient merely to come to church and to occupy a pew. We may sing in the choir, usher at the door, serve in the nursery, tithe our money. Perhaps if you're a biblically qualified man, even preach from the pulpit. But if we are not settling our hearts on the Lord, we are not benefiting from what we are hearing or what we're reading from the word. Once we have believed first in Jesus, the urgent call of our lives is to join with David in saying, My heart is steadfast, O God. This is why we must be attending church, not merely going through the motions, but opening our minds, opening our hearts to the teaching of the word of God, asking God to lay a foundation for his truth in our hearts and in our lives. This is why we need to study our Bibles daily. We need to lay hold of the only anchor that will keep the ship of our faith from blowing out to sea when, when the storm comes. We must prayerfully seek convictions from the Bible, along with principles for how we're going to live in a violent, ungodly world. After all, Psalm 1, the very opening psalm, calls the man blessed who not only opens the scriptures, but delights in the word of God and meditates on them day and night. Such a steadfast believer will become like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers, Psalm 1-3. Psalm 57 shows us the benefit of a life saturated in the word, and that is spiritual stability. And so I ask you, is your heart steadfast in the Lord? Is your life grounded by the convictions and anchored by the principles of faith? Or are you just walking through the motions, the religious motions that do not give strength to your life? If your heart is not steadfast, then the warning Jesus gave about the foolish man who heard but did not heed his teaching applies to you. After that man had built his house on the sand, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it, Matthew 7, 26 through 27 tells us. And now notice that in Psalm 57 and in Jesus' teaching, the steadfastness of our hearts is tested and revealed by our response to trials. How are you going to react when the market crashes, it wipes away your wealth, when the doctor calls and, can, and it, the matter is of a concern of a life-threatening illness, or when the news station tells us of great convulsions that will endanger our society? Jesus said that the one who builds his house his house on the rock of his word will endure the storm. In Matthew 7, 25, which says the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Or consider Jesus' words in John 6, 16, 33, that in this world, you're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. There's going to be hard days. How are you going to deal with those? Or consider the words of James. In James 1, 2, and 3, 
Brothers, consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kind, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance, and that we're supposed to let it have its effect in our lives. Or Romans 5, 1 through 8, which says much the same thing about trials and suffering, all because of the grace of God at work in our lives. And too many Christians, they they nod their head, we nod our head and we acknowledge an agreement, and yet we don't, we're not prepared for the trials at hand. We're not prepared for the suffering at hand. We're not prepared when challenging days and difficult things come our way. Because we don't we need to remember that even in all things, God is providential. He he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He, he is the Lord God who knows the beginning of history to the end of history and everywhere in between. He knows it all. And what that means is, is that even in the midst of our lives, when situations come our way, like recently for my wife and I, our car died uh, for, for no apparent reason other than, you know what? Um, the, the car was dead. The car was dead. It made no sense. In fact, I was supposed to preach on a Lord's Day uh, two days later, and uh, that was a lesson. It was a lesson. Where is my hope? Where is my trust? You know, another lesson that I've had to continue to learn through my parents' dementia is trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord. Doing what James says. Consider it pure joy, brothers. Oh, how I wish that was true. I can tell you, oh, you know what? I always find joy in the Lord when I get news about how my parents are doing with their memory issues. I wish I could I could say that I always responded well to that, but the truth is I still have a long way to grow in my walk with the Lord. And maybe you're like me. And you need to be reminded again and again and again. This is why we need people in our lives. If you're a man, you need an older man. You need multiple men in your life that that can stand as a wall for you, if you will, in this example. And they can remind you, Dave, here's the truth. Here's the encouragement. You know these things, brother. Be reminded of them. And let me put my arm around you and let me pray for you right now. This is why, ladies, you need that wall too. This wall of ladies preaching the truth to you. And and you need to join, if you're a man, that wall for other people. And ladies, you need to join that wall for, I mean, men, you need to join that wall for other men. And ladies, you need to join that wall for other ladies as well. Because we need one another. Over 50 times or so in the New Testament, we're told to one another each other for this very reason. And by the way, these one another passages, they fill out what it means to do life with God's people. Well, today, if you have not built your life on the rock of scriptural truth, and if you cannot lift up a steadfast heart to God as David did in Psalm 57, then this is the urgent issue and the need of your life. In fact, Psalm 1 warns that those who fail to settle their hearts on the truth of God's word, and especially those who neglect to receive the gospel salvation offered by Jesus Christ, Psalm 1, 4 says, are like chaff that the wind drives away. In other words, they 
That's, that's what it is. It's the wind just blows them away. Like Paul says in Ephesians 4, they are blown and tossed to and fro every which way because they're not settled on the word as Psalm 1-2 tells us to do, to meditate on the word of God, to delight in the word of God day after day after day. Now, verse 7 of Psalm 57, it expresses the heart of this psalm. And the verses that follow set forth that desire. David is hiding in the Lord, steadfast in faith beneath the shelter of the wings of God. And therefore, David desires not merely safety for himself, more importantly, that his deliverance will bring glory to God. And so David wants his own life to give praise to the Lord. And so he says in Psalm 57, 7 through 8, I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory, awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. And now it seems that David addresses his tongue as his glory because it is with his tongue that he intends to bear witness to the glory of God. In fact, along with his tongue, David summons all of his talents. He was a skilled musician, and so he calls forth the music of his harp and his lyre to meet the rising sun with the praise of the Lord. Believers today possess a wide variety of spiritual gifts. Each of them should be offered thankfully to God, not only our songs and our praise, but also the particular kinds of service that we best can do. Ministries such as mentoring young people, visiting the sick, ushering at church, the church door, serving in the nursery, preaching from the pulpit, and giving generously through tithes matter when offered gratefully for the glory of God. Awake, the thankful believers should command to all the resources that the Lord has given, that we might employ them in his service and for his praise. Now, <coughs> notice here that the proof of David's steadfast heart is the thankful spirit that resolves to praise the Lord. And you might be asking, how will I know when my heart is steadfast in the Lord? And Psalm 57 resoundingly answers that the steadfast believer is thankful to God for all his blessings, even in the midst of life storm, chiefly desiring the Lord in all things. If instead your heart is overthrown by troubles so that you complain, you grow despondent, this suggests that you should seek shelter in the grace of God so that when you complain and grow despondent, this means that you need to hold fast to the word of God that your heart may yet glorify God with thanksgiving. In fact, David expressed this same priority in Psalm 16, which we've looked at it in verses 8 through 9. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Thus, David desires to bless the Lord with praise. The, the Methodist John Wesley noted a similar pattern in his own life. He wanted to give praise to God when he had taken shelter in the mercy of God and have laid hold of the marvelous gospel truth, realizing that this all-powerful, this all-wise, all-gracious being, this governor of all loves me. This lover of my soul is always with me, is never absent, no, not for a single moment, and I love him. There is none in heaven but thee, none on earth that I desire beside thee. And he has given me to resemble himself. He has stamped his image on my heart, and I live unto him. I do only his will. I glorify him with my body and my spirit, and will not be long before I shall die unto him. I die in the arms of God, and therefore farewell sin and pain. Then it only remains that I shall live with him forever. 
And having desired for God to be glorified in his own life, David desires for God's glory to be exalted. Second, in the gospel of Jesus. We can see this link in the apostles' quotation of Psalm 57, verse 9, or at least a statement virtually identical to it. In Romans 15, 7-8, Paul asserted that Christ took the gospel to the Gentiles to fulfill the Old Testament's longing for God's worldwide glory. But where does the Old Testament express such a missionary's zeal for the spread of the gospel? Well, Paul answered by going and pointing to the Psalms, where David pleaded for God to be praised, not only in the cave where he was hiding, or even in all of Israel, but throughout the whole world. In Romans 15, 9, he says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds citing Psalm 57, 9 through 10. And this desire for God's universal praise, it reaches beyond David's own life, extending the ministry of Jesus Christ through the gospel. Jesus proved to be a true son of David by desiring God to be glorified amid trials. On the brink of his arrest and even his crucifixion, Jesus prayed to his father that the son may glorify you in John 17, 1, and, and the Bible records that Jesus faced the terrors of the cross by taking refuge in the love and the faithfulness of, father, of the Father. His heart was steadfast in God. And so David resolved in Psalm 57, 9, for God's glory was perfectly achieved in the resurrection and the exaltation of Christ as the Old Testament's longing for the Messiah was fulfilled to the praise of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And when David extols the steadfast love of God that is as great to the heavens, in verse 10, he points to the gospel offer of mercy that is still extended to everyone today. Anyone, anywhere in the world who comes to God humbly, confesses their sin, and seeks the refuge that God offered when Jesus died on the cross for sin, will join in the praise that David desires. David adds that God's faithfulness reaches to the clouds. And by this, he means just as God would deliver him from the cave and would ultimately resurrect Jesus from the dead, God would be faithful to fulfill the promise of eternal life to everyone who trusts in him. This invites us to glorify God by asking him to forgive us our, forgive our sins, receive us into the love of God in Christ, and to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, as Philippians 4.19 says. Well, David's grateful heart, it desires for God to be praised in his own life and then the gospel of Jesus. And finally, the refrain that concludes both sections of Psalm 57, it urges God to display his glory in the fabric of history. And so David sings in Psalm 57, 5 and 11, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Franz Delschick says, Greater words of prayer than these never came from human lips. That's because David sees that the ultimate cause and goal of his salvation is the exaltation of the glory of God in all things and to all the people of the earth. Hiding as a fugitive in the cave and hiding his soul in God, David is thrilled to know that his own deliverance weaves a portion of an infinitely great tapestry of divine glory that will never end. David's plea for God's glory is the same as the Apostle Paul's vision for the glory of God in and through the church. Paul said that the purpose of history is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places in Ephesians 3.10. In other words, God intends for our grateful praise in the midst of 
earthly trials to form a display of his glory to heavenly beings. Psalm 57, it invites believers to understand their lives as forming part of a great project spanning all history in which God is bringing glory to his grace for all eternity. And although each of us plays only a small part, every Christian's role is essential, each one enacting a unique drama in which God desires for his glory to be revealed. However great you might be like David or however small and insignificant your troubles may seem, when you hide in God and you settle your heart in Him, praising Him from your grateful heart, you play an irreplaceable role in the great glorious purpose for which all of history uh, exists. Eric Alexander reflected on this great truth while observing repairs that took place at Westminster Abbey in London. For several years, the marvelous building was covered <coughs> in a scaffolding as workers were cleaning it. And he says, one could not see its true beauty, Alexander noted, but one was aware that something of great significance was happening behind that scaffolding. Something of majestic beauty was to be revealed. And drawing on that insight, Alexander applied it to our lives and to the church, saying this, there will come a day when God will pull down the scaffolding of world history. Do you know that he will be pointing what he will be pointing to when he says to the whole creation, there is my masterpiece? He will be pointing to the church of Jesus Christ. In the forefront of it all will be the Lord himself who will come and say, here I am and the children you have given me perfected in the beauty of holiness. He says we need to live for that day, the day when God will manifest his glory and his people. And if we live for that day, it will change our living and it will change our serving. Psalm 57, 5 and 11 says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Saying David during a period of great trial, as he was sheltered in the cave and hiding in the shadow of God's saving wings, it is our privilege to say the same. If we come first to God through faith in Christ and then seek shelter in God alone amid the storm, and then standing on the foundation of the word of God, joining in thanksgiving with David, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. So as we wrap up today, I want to ask you, is your heart steadfast in Christ today? Do you know Christ? Are you abiding in Christ, as Jesus says in John 15? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ alone today? You know, as a Christian, it is so easy to say, you know what, I believe the things that you're talking about here today, Dave. And I can say, you know what? I am right there with you. But it is too easy to go into this mode where we begin to trust ourselves. And we begin to walk through the motions and just say the right words and just perform religious duties. And what the Lord wants is something greater for us. He has united us to Christ by faith in his name. And that means that we have communion with him. What Jesus invites us to is not just walking through the motions. After all, in John's gospel, he calls us friends. As friends, we're friends of God. We have, we have unhindered, unfettered, 24-7 access before the throne of God. We have a very sh present help, as the Psalms say, in time of need. You might think of David again in Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O soul? Hope and then he says in verse, at the end of it, the Psalm 42, he says, hope in God. And maybe that's you today. You know, what, what happens in the midst of 
hard seasons of life is that we can zero in on that circumstances or many circumstances. I, I could say, you know what, I've been guilty of that over my Christian life. I understand very well how easy it is to zero in on that difficult situation, that prognosis of that family member, that that hard financial reality that has settled in. And this is why we need to be honest before the Lord. And we need to call on the Lord. We need to pray to the Lord. And we need to share with other godly, trusted brothers, if you're a man, or a godly, trusted sisters in Christ, if you're a lady. We need to be that person if you're a man on the wall. We need to be that, if you're a woman, you need to be that wall on that wall for other women to speak the truth and love to them when they come to you. That means that all of us need to be in the Bible ourselves, reading it, studying it, meditating on it, taking it home into our hearts, into our lives, so that we will be prepared when trials come and we will not be blown and tossed away like the sand on the sea. Instead, we'll be firmly planted in the soil of God's word where our faith and our confidence and our hope are shown to be true. You see, the only way to know God is to know him as he's revealed in the word. And the only way to grow in the grace of God, as 2 Peter 3.18 says, is to know the Lord as he's revealed in the word. So both the way to know and the way to grow are given in the word so that we might know Jesus Christ and do as Romans 8.28 says and be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus. And this is so relevant to this psalm. Remember, David's facing a trial. He needed the reminder. He needed the encouragement. And now he's telling us that his heart is steadfast in the Lord. Or think about that, that famous hymn, It is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul today? Is it well with your soul? Is it well between Christian? Is it well between you and the Lord today? Or have you allowed the, the, the frustration and the fear and the anxiety and the depression and the struggles of life to choke out your faith? Look to the Lord. Hebrews 4.15 says that the Lord is a very present help. He understands. He's a present help in your time of need. He, and he also understands everything that we are going through. Because he was tempted, Hebrews 2, 17 through 18, to Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, tell us, in every way, and yet he never sinned. This is why Jesus is our, the, the one, only one, who could pay the penalty in our place and for our sin. And be buried and rise again. And as a result, his sacrifice, his resurrection was accepted by God the Father. There's only That is the only basis for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the only way that we can be forgiven. That's the only way that we can be adopted by God. That's the only way that we can be declared not guilty. Is through Christ. This is what Paul says in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Stop looking to yourself. Look up 
to your Savior. Look up to your King. In the midst of every circumstance of life, remember, as David did in Psalm 42, hope in God. And then as he reminded himself to hope in God, then he reminded himself to praise the Lord. That's exactly what we see in this psalm. David desired to trust the Lord, to to remind himself of God's faithfulness, of God's love. God is always faithful to his word. Titus 1-2 says, we have a God who never lies. 2 Corinthians 1-20 says, that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. That means that you can take to the bank the fact that God's word is not only true, but that it reveals the person and work of Christ. As, as John 5.39 says, all scripture points to me, points to Jesus. Luke 24.27 tells us that Jesus interpreted all the scriptures uh, that, uh, concerning himself. So find your hope, find your confidence, find your joy, not in the, in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your fear, anxiety, depression, struggles, fear, and all of it. Find your hope, find your confidence in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is true and that it, like a, a, a chapter like this in Psalm, it, it speaks Lord, to our hearts, it speaks to our struggles, it, it speaks to our fear, it speaks to our even our anxiety, it speaks to every situation of our lives. As David faces trials, so we face trials because we live in a sin-sick world, a post-fall world. And Lord, you are sufficient to always meet every need that we have because you are sufficient in and of yourself. So, Lord, help us, help us to find our hope even more in the shelter of your wings and the rock of refuge and the hope that you alone provide. Help us, Lord, to take a message like this and to remind ourselves of the truth of God's word again and again and again, that we have a steadfast, we have a faithful, we have a true Lord, we have a true King. And Lord, may our hearts be filled and overflow with the reality of that truth, and may our response be one of praise, one of adoration, one of glorifying you and lifting you up full of thanks and gratitude for the treasure that we have in the Lord. So we thank you, Lord, that your word is true, that your son is sufficient, and that even now you are a king who is ruling and reigning over all things, over every aspect of our lives, from beginning to middle to end, until the very day we die and even beyond, you are railing and reigning over all it and for in and over all eternity and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.